Welcome to Pound the Rock, an NBA podcast by the score. I'm your host, William Lou. I'm joined as always by Jessica Sharo. What's going on? And Joe Wolfund. What up? The NBA Finals are over. Uh, Cash, you return from Cleveland. Um, beautiful, beautiful we, city. Beautiful, the beautiful city of Cleveland. I mean, the weather's good right now, right? Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, uh, at least the games were good. Oh boy. Uh, game three. Game three was great. Game yeah. three was actually a great game. Yeah, walk us through how was how was games three and four in Cleveland. What was it, what was it like after the Warriors won the championship, and what was it like during? So game three, um, I was impressed at the beginning of game three with with Cleveland's crowd. As I've been the last few years, I've been going to Cleveland for the finals. But then I was disappointed in that. If you remember game three, I think the Cavs got off to like a sixteen four lead, mm-hmm. um, and then the Warriors went on a run at the end of the first quarter. Mainly Durant did as like a one man show. And after the first quarter, Cleveland was only up one. And I swear to you, it felt like that arena was already done. Like, they had already given up because they, I guess, their 12-point lead had shrunk to one. I think it was just like a feeling of inevitability. And the energy in the building was just never the same after that for the final two games. And obviously, once KD hit that shot, just you could hear a pin drop in that building. And that's the thing, though, because the, the Cavs building is usually really good. Yeah. Right? Like, especially during playoff games. I mean, they've seen, like, the impossible happen in that yeah. building before. Uh, and so those fans are usually very resilient, but yeah, I mean that's what it looked like on the television. Like yeah. it's just you know, KD, KD in Game Three, honestly, like that that one in Finals MVP because I felt like Steph was actually better in the other three games, and I don't know. I mean, Steph could have won his MVP, whatever. It doesn't yeah. seem like it matters. I think that's the part of Steph. He's so selfless, but um, yeah, I mean, what what was the mood like in the locker room? I mean, I heard some reports that it wasn't as um, there wasn't as much outpour of emotion. I mean, Warriors as look, it was it was my first time seeing it, uh, a championship celebration up close. So to me, it seemed cool. But yeah, maybe I guess I don't think there was that like aw shucks we're champions kind of thing that you maybe expect mm-hmm. to see. Nick Young had it yeah. um, because I don't think Nick Young ever thought he'd be here, let alone fans thinking he'd be here. But no, I think I think it was still like a pretty exciting, obviously, locker room. They just won the title. KD was nowhere to be found for most of it. I think he was, because he was finals MVP, he's probably doing some like photo stuff or whatever the case may be. They all kind of get taken to like a photo shoot room one by one. Very like school picture like. Mm. So they each have to leave the celebration for a little bit to go take their like Jostin's pictures or whatever the company (laughs) is that does their pictures. Yeah, yeah, so there was that. Um, The coolest thing was probably seeing uh, Quinn Cook. was like really emotional at his locker room and he was FaceTiming someone. Right. And just because he seemed emotional, everyone just assumed he was like FaceTiming, I don't know, a parent, a loved one, a sibling, something. And he kept calling the person champ. And then a few seconds later... <laughs> was it I, James Jones? Nope. It was Floyd, Maywe- <laughs> it was Floyd Mayweather. Oh, jeez. Um, I wish it was James Jones. Yeah, what a, what uh, a great portrayal it was. That yeah. James so Jones. Quinn Cook uh, FaceTimed Floyd Mayweather from the locker room, uh-huh. which was like a cool moment. Not that, you know, I don't think any of us in this room are Floyd Mayweather fans by any stretch of the imagination as a human being. Mm-hmm. But it was just cool to see like an athlete um, just calling another athlete randomly from like that was one of his first phone calls after he won an NBA championship. And then mm. he told me like he doesn't even remember how they met a few years ago, but he somehow met Floyd Mayweather and they just took to each other. And like Floyd's kind of been like a bigger brother to him now. That's crazy. Yeah. Cause that's like a huge disparity. Between no, Quinn I know Cook from like Floyd. Yeah. From like a level of fame. Yeah. But like, and then when I talked to him about it, like Quinn Cook was actually getting emotional. Wow. Like his voice was shaking. You can tell like he was holding back tears talking about how, yeah, Floyd's been like so great to him and Floyd knows how hard like he struggled to get there and he yeah. just, well, him and Isaiah Thomas have a thing too. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So. True. Um, 
Yeah, so that was cool. And then obviously just everything Nick Young. Like I was standing there when Nick Young made the comment about I went from getting snitched on to putting a ring on. Mm. Uh, talked about how he became a national treasure that night. Like just some great Nick Young moments. Uh, caught up with JaVale McGee. JaVale McGee was telling me that, you know, it was like he was just so happy to see Nick Young get one because, you know, they were together in Washington. Right. And everyone... Yeah, they were part of those like uber dysfunctional right. wizards teams. And so. and Javale talked about that how like people saw them a certain way, right? It's kind of just like punchlines and clowns, and now they're both champions. Javale's a two-time champion, and Javale actually contributed. Yeah, in the finals, ah, he was big really time. Good. He was he shot like eighty-three percent over the last three games. Yeah, yeah. Nick um, Young was kind of rough in the playoffs he as a whole, but he all, he hit like a couple big threes. I feel like in that second half, yeah. game seven against the Rockets. So yeah, I don't know. Everyone gets to have. Yeah, their moment exactly. at a certain point in time, right? Um, so. But yeah, the last thing I'll say about the the locker room celebrations, and I think maybe like the the most interesting part of it is I caught Steve Kerr. Uh, he was kind of like relaxed and chilling because I don't know, like it, to me, it felt like this year Steve Kerr kind of seemed a little more on edge than usual and a little more tense. I don't know if it was just like the pressure of this kind of yeah. win or nothing team. Probably also was, the fact that he's feeling back pain. Yeah, exactly, all of minute, it. Which, so it was cool to see him like after the locker room celebrations. He was just in the hallway with his family, like chilling in sweats and loafers. And I asked him about just kind of like the weight being off his shoulders of this year. And he made like an interesting comment when I talked to him. And he basically said that with this team, just because they're so expected to win, that more than like a celebration, it's almost just like a sense of relief. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really know what to make of that because on one hand, I totally understand what he's saying. But on the other hand, it's like, man, it's, if you really think about it, that's kind of sad. Like a little bit sad, right? That you're in a position where because everyone expects you to win, like you win and you can't even necessarily feel unbridled joy. You feel more just like a weight off your shoulders than anything. I I don't know. It's just not what I imagine right. when I imagine someone winning a championship. That's, that's almost very similar to um, those scenes of uh, after the Cavaliers beat the Celtics in game seven of like everybody was celebrating, you know, like um, – Rodney, like Rodney Hood and, and Jordan Clarkson were taking pictures yeah. with the little like uh, trophy Eastern, Conference, guess, Eastern trophy. Conference trophy and LeBron's just chilling there like sitting on the ground exhausted wearing that little you know yeah. championship hat yeah. because he knows like he knows uh, I'm expected to do more yeah. than this and, it's true um, on the topic of LeBron I think that was probably the biggest thing that came out of um, the series was that after game four it was like pretty much right after the game ended it was revealed that LeBron was playing with a broken hand um well, that. a bruised hand, though, right? Uh, was it, it bruised or broken? Because LeBron said contusion, but then he said I was basically playing with a broken hand. Yeah, so like, so it was probably like a bone bruise, right? Which is true. like not quite a broken hand, but which is uh, like a step up from like a hairline fracture, right? Mm. It's I don't know. I it seemed like it was blown out of proportion, maybe a little bit, but right. like I think just watching it, you could tell that he wasn't quite the same player in the last three games as he was in Game One, which he, he obviously wasn't going to be because that Game One was insane, right? Um, but he was definitely like a lot more tentative, especially when it came to shooting jump shots, right? So, do you buy it though? Like, I mean, I'm not saying he was faking the injury. I'm just saying, do you buy it as like, um, well, first off, do you think it was because it was clear that the reporters kind of like sat on it because everyone like had the same report right after, um, that the finals ended and it was and LeBron even showed up to the podium with the cast on and was like, oh, you guys like my cast, huh? Which it made it really feel like LeBron was setting up to be like, hey, look, this this is why this is why it happened. He would never make that excuse publicly, but do you do you feel like that was a bit of an excuse to like kind of detract from the Warriors' win, or do you feel like it was a legitimate injury? I like, I think it, I think there was an injury there. I don't think like I don't think the whole thing was a fake, like a ruse. Cause, I cause think there's videos of him dapping up his sons and everything. Yeah, listen, I, maybe it wasn't as bad as as it seems now. Like I I don't know. 
the other thing too that seemed a little unbelievable to me is like LeBron for as much as he wants to win he's such a poised guy mm-hmm. and like I just couldn't see him punching a a whiteboard so hard in frustration that he almost breaks his hand but then again after what went down in that game one it's believable that he could do it I guess yeah. but no I, I don't think it was a fake I also think I seriously don't think enough people are giving enough attention to his eye because like oh. to me that's what shifted everything like after the eye injury mm-hmm. when he gets palmed by Draymond game two three four he wasn't shooting from the mid-range like right. you know he was only at basically shooting at the rim and he took a few threes and he wasn't shooting that well from three I guess you could make the argument it was because of his hand too but I don't know it just like didn't he didn't look the same to me after game one whether it was the hand whether it was the eye whatever it was I do think there was something legitimately there um, I don't know I've never had uh, an eye injury like that where it's like you burst a blood vessel and that's why it looks that disgusting yeah, but possible. I don't know if that actually impairs your yeah, vision at all he didn't, he didn't say anything about it um, what about the ankle injury because he, he hurt his ankle during the series too <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. every, every LeBron body but what about this yeah. Yeah, I think we better started... put an asterisk on this Warriors title just yeah. to be safe he's turned into Kobe man it's, oh. it's, he's at the Kobe stage of his career where he's like yeah. look what he's doing despite yeah. no know. but look I, I will say um and I'm not the first person to make this point, but I do think there was like some theatrics involved with LeBron's playoff run, and he's kind of embraced that, which I'm cool with. Like, sure. I think it's fine, especially given like the the weird and crazy season he and the Cavs had. Um, but like him, sort of ostentatiously lying down on the floor during the like Eastern Conference Trophy presentation. He's so dramatic, and, and like showing up with the cast on, like they're. It is. It's dramatic and it's like theatrics, and I'm kind of into it. Like, I don't, it doesn't bother me, but. Um, Even after round one, remember when they asked him if he was ready for the Raptor, and he's like, not right now or something? I, got, I, yeah. I need to get some rest, man. I'm yeah. tired. That, that part I actually was like, I, I believe it, because that series was that series was insane, and I just I feel like he wasn't expecting to have to work nearly as hard as he did to win that series. Um, and he played, like, he tried to play 48 minutes in that game seven and couldn't do it. Yeah. So that to me felt genuine, but then after that, I kind of I just started to get the sense that he was like playing it up for effect, um, and and that's, again, not to say that like it wasn't a legitimate injury or that it didn't affect his play, but yeah, if we're talking about whether that would have affected the outcome of the series, I think that's a bit of a reach. I would have really enjoyed if uh, LeBron, after losing the finals, uh, sits at the podium. With the new cast on and just do the like the John Cena you can't see me look. Just he should have like, gone up sure. there in a full body cast. He's like, <laughs> <Yeah>. yo, <laughs> I've been on. playing. I've been playing with nine hundred broken bones, uh, yeah. and fourteen broken teammates. Like. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, on that point though, like in all seriousness, LeBron was obviously incredible throughout this playoff run. It's probably his best playoff run. Obviously, it, it's weird to say that because he got swept, but I think we can all accept that he was up against an impossible opponent. There's no way. Um, he was going to win that series. Maybe he would have extended that series, and depending on how game one went, I mean, that could have swung the entire momentum of the series, but realistically, the Warriors won um, as everyone expected. Um, However, do you feel like this was a missed opportunity for LeBron to change his legacy? Because it very much felt like if he could take down this team again with KD by himself, then he might shift himself into another conversation, whereas he's still kind of in the same place. I think this goes back to what we, I think we talked about this last week or the week before, where like the people that are not going to be swayed by LeBron's insane playoff performance, like there's no reaching them anyway. Right. You can't convince those people that LeBron is in the conversation for number one, because he is. Mm-hmm. Him and Jordan, to me, it's one of those two guys now. Like LeBron's right there as 1A, 1B, whatever you want to call it. I think 
this playoff performance and even game one of the finals alone, regardless of what happens in two, three, four, should have like emboldened his legacy because he was insane in these playoffs. And it's just, it just goes back to the same thing. It's like people are going to use the finals record against them and they don't realize like he's losing in the finals every year because he's dragging flawed teams that don't belong in the finals to the finals. And that's why he's losing when he's there. But you look at his game one performance, even like game two, three, and four wasn't typical LeBron, but it was still great. Um, so like, I don't think it diminishes his legacy at all. Maybe it doesn't add to it for most of the population. But for me personally, like I, I look at this finals as even though he got swept, it only added to his legacy. Yeah, I mean, obviously it would have added to his legacy in an enormous way if he'd mm-hmm. managed to win the series. But I think it's disingenuous to call it a missed opportunity because the opportunity wasn't really there. Like well, those, that's, but that's always the discussion with LeBron and being three and six in the finals and stuff like that, right? It's about no, did but, he miss okay, an opportunity. But, that, but that's different. It's like if we're talking about the 2011 finals against Dallas, then yeah, obviously the opportunity was there in a way right. that it wasn't this time, you know? And then if you want to go back to 2007 when he dragged that, uh, you know, another pretty sorry Cavs supporting cast to the finals and they're going up against a, an elite Spurs team, like that wasn't really an opportunity either, you know? And in, in, in the same way that that team was just so totally overmatched, um, the extent that LeBron would have had to dominate that series on an individual level is just kind of impossible to conceive. So on the one hand, yeah, like he, he could have, um, you know, put another jewel in his crown and I think probably elevated himself above Jordan in most people's minds if he would somehow managed to win this series. I just don't think that it was ever a realistic proposition anyway. So, yeah. um, you know, to somehow put that on him or say that he, he blew a chance to, uh, you know, to take his legacy up another level is is just, I don't know, it's kind of pointless to me. Yeah, look, I'm mostly just playing devil's advocate. I, I, I share the same belief as you guys. Like, um, I share the same belief as LeBron, really, because LeBron said after game three of it, was it, where, um, you know, that video circulated of his, like, footage of him reacting to the fact that um, after, I, I guess, after JR didn't shoot that shot and there's that video and LeBron finds out there's a timeout and he's just, like, sitting there, like, Fuming, and I guess later he punched the whiteboard and stuff like that. But like LeBron said after that video came out, he's like, "Oh, me getting criticized? Nah." And then he's like, "Look, I, I have my team in the NBA Finals." But he kind of said that with a smirk, you know, sort of acknowledging the fact that yeah. this team has no, in no way, shape, or form, deserves to be in the NBA Finals outside of LeBron. Um, and then him saying, like, you know, how much more help do you think I can give them? Yeah. Right? Like that's kind of been that was the story of the Cavaliers season and. LeBron sort of defied the odds for a while, but ultimately couldn't beat Golden State. Um, after the series is over, the f- conversation naturally moved to LeBron and free agency um, because we can't get enough of LeBron and free agency. LeBron obviously didn't say where he's going to go right after the, the series ended, but he did s- drop some nuggets in terms of him wanting to play with cerebral players, him wanting to, um, you know, him still being in championship mode. And so... Um, oh, and he also mentioned family. So those are the three things, right? He wants to play with cerebral players who can, quote-unquote, see what's going to happen before, uh, sort of see the game the way LeBron can see it. Uh, the second thing is family, and the third thing is championships, right? So if that's LeBron's criteria, let's go around and just discuss what is the best possible scenario for LeBron. Not necessarily what's the most likely this summer, but uh, Wolf, and we can start with you. What's the most? What's the best-case scenario for LeBron this summer in your mind? To me, it's it's the Sixers, and I know 
there are a lot of people who say that's not actually a great basketball situation because there's too much overlap between him and Ben Simmons, another guy who really needs the ball in his hands to be effective. Mm. They are already really good, and they're one of the few teams who could add him without really gutting the roster at all. They have the cap space, basically, to absorb him on a max deal. Right. And then they also have the pieces to basically put together a superstar trade package. So I think, ideally, and we were talking about this way back when, I think on maybe the first episode of the pod that we did about uh, uh, potential Kawhi Leonard trades, Mm -hmm. and... I threw the Sixers out there because they have, I think, the makings of a really good package. They have the opportunity to match salaries with uh, Robert Covington and Dario Saric, mm-hmm. two super effective players who I think would make pretty good spurs. And then you have maybe Markel Fultz to throw in there to sweeten the pot. You have that number 10 pick from the Lakers coming this year as well. Um, so in theory, I think you know they, they could put together as good a trade package as anybody, uh, get somebody like Kawhi, and then suddenly you have... Uh, a nucleus of Embiid, Simmons, LeBron, and, you know, tier two superstar X. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, that's a pretty solid foundation to build from. And I know there might be some fit issues offensively. I think they could work them out. And if you're talking about cerebral players, Ben Simmons absolutely fits that bill. Mm. Um, The the lack of shooting maybe would be a bit problematic, and he would need to have the ball in his hands more than some other LeBron teammates in the past. But... I think he could be super effective working off the ball more as a cutter, as a spot-up shooter, um, as a dive man in the pick-and-roll. Like I think there are so many other ways that he could be utilized. Um, and I think, look, he's he, he's going to be effective in pretty much any context, I think. Mm-hmm. But seeing basically like the limits of what he could do as a guy who is running the offense every single time down the floor... I don't know, maybe kind of wish to see him in a bit of a different role in a different context. And I think uh, his fit with that Sixers team would be super, super interesting and super fun. Okay, so you're going with LeBron and Kawhi in Philadelphia. That's pretty good. That'd be a whale of a defensive team, too. Like and between, he's in the East, by the way. Between, that's a big factor, too. Yeah, staying in the East, I think, is, is pretty crucial because that's his best opportunity to keep going back to the finals. But also, like, with those teammates, I, I think that if they got Kawhi, like, they would be such an elite defensive team. Between Kawhi and Simmons and, and Embiid, and then LeBron basically being able to turn it on like 50% of the time, uh, they'd be pretty tough to score on. Yeah, that'd be an all right basketball squad. I'm going to go with uh, best case scenario as he joins James Harden and Chris Paul in Houston. Mm. I think, look, if you're talking cerebral to me, mm-hmm. the second smartest player on the planet is Chris Paul after LeBron James. Um, okay, yeah. I don't think it gets smarter than that. Those two guys together is as cerebral as it gets. Um, so I think it, you know, plus Chris Paul is one of his friends, right? The banana boat. Yeah, one of his uh, best friends. Yeah. He's already played with Wade. He doesn't need to play with Carmelo, let's be honest. Uh, they had but, Team USA. They'll yeah, always have Team yeah. USA. But, uh, you know, he can get to play with another one of his best friends and play with one of the best younger superstars in the game in James Harden. So I, I think, like, the supporting cast would be there. He'd have another superstar or two to lean on and, like, take some of that load off and especially take – some of like the ball dominance and and scoring load off him with James Harden there and Chris Paul there, mm-hmm. um, and I think just from like a narrative standpoint, not that I think LeBron needs to be worried about narratives and legacy anymore because I think he's proven all he's needed to prove, especially when he won that title with Cleveland and beating that te- uh, Warriors team. But I do think like if he was interested in that at all, I think there he wouldn't get knocked as much for joining the Rockets, even though it would be a super team when it's like he's joining the team that. 
legitimately seemed like they were a punch away from knocking off this historic Warriors team and that they need one more piece. And yeah, LeBron's obviously a lot more than just like, ah, one more piece to put you over the top. But I just think it'd be a good story. Like he goes there, he joins one of his best friends, he joins a young superstar and like they come together and he finds that group it's like they're almost helping each other slay this Goliath, right? Like, LeBron wants to beat the Warriors so bad, and he goes somewhere where he can do it, and then this, like, Rockets team, who took as good a punch against the Warriors as anyone, built a team to beat them while a lot of other teams were sitting on the sidelines. Like, they get rewarded with LeBron in their quest to dethrone the Warriors. I just think it all kind of fits. They'd have to do, like, some cap gymnastics, obviously, to make it work, but Maury's done it before, and I think he could do it again, obviously, if LeBron James is the prize. So, yeah, to me, that's the best-case scenario. Yeah, how would you how would you make that work though from the Rockets? Like, I think yeah, Pelton, it has to be a sign and Pel- trade, right? Yeah, Pelton. I think it was Pelton. Someone on ESPN did it today that like um, it would need to be a sign and trade, and it would work best if LeBron opts in mm-hmm. to his option year and then does the sign and trade as opposed to becoming right. a free agent and signing and trading. Yeah, that's what so exactly what Chris Paul did. Exactly. exactly yeah. Um, with like a wink, wink handshake yeah. deal like we'll give you the max extension yeah. after you yeah. after you play out this year yeah. it's like so. fine okay lebron i yeah. guess we'll pay you the max i mean <laughs> um but then yeah i mean the Cavs would have to go along with that right they, they, they would, have to be willing to take back like but, i don't know what eric gordon and the thing Ryan is Anderson, like if, if you're the Cavs, Trevor the, here's the thing like it'd be the same thing as in 2010 the Cavs, like it'd be not even as bad right in 2010 like dan gilbert wrote the letter he wrote like clearly wanted nothing to do with helping lebron and still had to swallow his pride in the end and do, if you remember, it, it was a sign and trade, and they got like a couple first rounders, whatever they got. I think this time around, the situation is a little more friendly, at least. Um, I just feel like if they did it then, they would do it now. Like, if your option is lose LeBron for nothing or help expedite this sign and trade and get something of return, plus he's going out west, like, I, I don't know. I feel like they'd help him get it done. Mm. Well, those are obviously both two very good scenarios in terms of just like strictly speaking with basketball. But of course, LeBron also said the family part. And look, if you're LeBron and you're telling your family, listen, we're got to go for a while and I got to be a mercenary and I got to go hunt a ring with Houston or whatever. We got to live in Houston for a while. Then we might have to live in Philly or whatever. LeBron's family doesn't want to do that. LeBron's family is very clear. All right, LeBron has two $20 million properties in L.A. in Brentwood. One of them was recently constructed in 2017. If you have two $20 million mansions in a place, you probably want to live in that place, especially if that place is also a very viable basketball market and also a huge, um, just a market in general for LeBron to expand his reach. Now, that's ridiculous to think about LeBron needing to expand his reach, but also, like, it's a different platform. When you play for the Lakers, it's a different platform. And if you can bring success to the Lakers, then you're suddenly the biggest deal in the world. Obviously, the biggest issue is the Lakers um, <clears throat> are not that good, and they need to add some pieces. But that's why they have two, you know, max free agent slots. Maybe he takes Chris Paul with him to the Lakers. You know, Chris Paul is not guaranteed to re-sign with the, with the Rockets, although he probably will. Um, maybe he takes Paul George with him. That's sort of been rumored there for as, as well. And maybe he takes a third guy. If the Lakers, you know, decide to stretch Luol Deng's contract, you're almost you're almost at three max salary cap slots. And then you have a bunch of young guys as well that you can move. Um, maybe some team is desperate for attention and takes Lonzo. Uh, not that Lonzo is a negative asset. It's just, you know, he could have additional value on top of his, you know, existing um you know basketball value because some team might want an attraction for their city and so there's a lot of assets in play and if the if if lebron you know if lebron really cares about his family 
more than he does about the basketball career, which is what Dwayne Wade said. Dwayne Wade said um, over the weekend on the podcast that, you know, it's not really a basketball decision. It's about where his family feels comfortable and stuff. You don't want to move your family again. And, you know, why would you move your family again when you have two $20 million properties? You guys should really see the photos of LeBron's new house. It's, it's, it's that's, yeah, that's going to be the first story of business Will, after we finish Will's recording. like a five-minute ran away from hosting a real estate uh, <laughs> podcast any day now. with this. Just doing a deep dive on LeBron's like there's a movie theater property in there. assets. Yeah, look, I, the pool. I think LA makes sense for a variety of reasons too. Like even just from the being, you know, a step away from Hollywood every day. I know a lot of people like roll their eyes at that and they think that these guys should only care about basketball. But like, they're humans, and LeBron's a right. megastar who wants to do things with his life outside of basketball. And I think he's just, already done that. He no, has he, a production. He company. has, but I'm saying exactly, he's got a production company like. It makes sense if you're in LA. You know what I mean. It just makes things easier. It opens up more opportunities. It's right. more convenient for you. Right. Um. You don't have to like wait till the off season necessarily to do things because you they're right in your backyard. It, LA does make sense for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But again, I think if we're talking purely basketball, then he probably should stay in the East. <laughs> yeah. Probably. <laughs> like, just stay in the East. Yeah. And, and like, you're gonna keep win. Like, I mean, I know the Celtics could be kind of scary, but realistically, like. That's, that's, just that, a that's, still, that's still LeBron's conference until it's not, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. But I guess the other thing, too, is like how much, and obviously he cares about it, but how much does he value the finals, like consecutive final streak, as opposed to just like, like, does he, if he just values winning at all, like at the top level, like winning a championship. Which it's LeBron James. You're saying like, would he would he rather lose to the Warriors in seven games in the conference finals or get swept in the finals? And the thing is, like, if you to me, if you go to Houston, you have a legitimate shot to beat the Warriors. Mm. If you stay in the East, obviously the team that you just put together yourself, Joe, in Philly, sounds like something that I can give. They need a GM. All I'm saying, all right. I'm right here. And and this pod isn't necessarily paying the bills. In general, all right. In general, if you. uh, if you put LeBron on any East team right now, like they're still not beating the Warriors. They need to do a lot of other things. I just see it as like he can go to Houston and potentially beat the Warriors next year. And yeah, maybe it would be in the third round instead of the finals. But like it's still a better path for him. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. That's that's I just think like I don't know, there's there's a lot of stuff to consider and like if you if you're talking about kind of the path of least resistance to just like give himself a swing at at that team on the biggest stage for the next, you know, three, four, five years, um, th- then I feel like staying in the East is probably the best path. But, like, yeah, you make a compelling point for sure. I just think it would be a, a complete bloodbath in the Western Conference if if that was where he decided to go. Yeah. Um, that's when he has to push Adam Silver on uh, realignment because earlier he was like, nah, that's stupid. But now when he goes to the West, he's like, mm, I don't right. know. It's stupid that we have to play the finals the one, in the yeah, Western the Conference one, finals. The yeah. ones to 16 seedings? I don't, if he was going to go to the West, though, I I feel like I would rather him like go to the Lakers, like him and Paul George yes. go to the Lakers. So no, no, you no. have instead of instead of just like having this duopoly, yeah, you end up having like uh, more of like a three team race where it's like yeah. I just feel like that's more compelling. Yeah. Or maybe LeBron takes KD there. You know, you never know. Ooh. You never know. LeBron and Ooh. KD in LA. Man. Uh, KD Man. stabbing Can't. the Warriors in the back. I mean, if there's one way KD can win uh, the. If he can win the public back because still people hate him despite winning two titles, it's to stab the Warriors in the back and say KD fixed basketball instead of KD broke basketball. <laughs> KD will be in LA telling the media that he knows nobody watched them when he was in Golden State, but now that he's. <laughs> oh, 
Yeah, that's right. That's right, yeah. One right. of the most insecure players uh, at that level going to L.A. in front of all the cameras. It's a good combo. Uh, segment three, the Warriors that we just talked about. First off, is anyone stopping this? How many more years is this juggernaut squad going to you know, continue to dominate the NBA? Look, man, I, I've said this before, but like, I think if we've learned one thing from the NBA and other sports, it's like never assume anything. Never take success for granted. Um, yes, if they keep everyone together and they stay healthy, mm-hmm. the Warriors should win the next title, next two titles, however long they stay together. But like, we really got to wait and see how this offseason plays out. If the Wolfon-led 76ers with LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, Joel Embiid, and Ben Simmons is a real thing, like... That team can win a title if LeBron goes to the Rockets to join James Harden and Chris Paul. Like the Warriors losing to that team isn't this like crazy upset. You know what I mean? Like we get to see how the summer shakes out because the Warriors might not be as overwhelming favorites next year. Um, and then plus we don't know if they're going to be able to keep their team together. They get to stay healthy. Like there's so many factors. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's actually that easy to just say, oh, they're going to win X number of titles in a row. Still, like I, I think. It's a lot more uncertain right now than it was a year ago. True. Yeah, I think what's interesting to me is, is this just going to turn into an arms race? And is that like the future of the NBA? Where, you know, superstars teaming up with other superstars and like creating increasingly stacked teams is just the direction that the league moves in, right? That, that's what's going to be telling, I guess, about yeah. the next few years is like... Um, what does LeBron do? How does that affect, you know, any other dominoes that might fall? And, you know, is Anthony Davis going to look around the league and realize that he has absolutely no shot with the Pelicans team that is currently on? And, you know, at the first opportunity, jump ship to, you know, the, the nearest uh, or most, most viable super team, right? Like, is that, is that the direction the league is headed? Is that going to continue uh, to happen or is there going to be sort of like a course correction at some point where things even out a little bit more to, where they were at maybe like in the mid 2000s um for now i think you know things being as they are uh i think it's hard to see in the next couple years a team beating the warriors just because those guys are all in their primes um you know maybe Igadala ages out and that's not insignificant but having all four of those basically hall of fame t- talents being in the square of their primes right now is i think um pretty important and um I, I just i don't see that team getting that much worse in the next couple of years so i think you're right like we got to see how the offseason plays out but if i'm just projecting from where we're sitting right now into the future i think for the next two years i'll say um they like i would probably lean toward taking them over the field uh one of the major factors in this is kevin durant um he's already said that he's going to resign with golden state obviously it's tough to hammer out contractual details but um you know there's no real reason to leave except for the fact that if kd wants sort of this validation which you know he keeps saying he doesn't want it but then when you have a burner account everything goes out the window when you're accidentally liking things on instagram like it, it just I don't know. He keeps saying one thing, but his actions keep saying another thing. Also, like, usually the people that need to tell you 80 times a day that they don't care what people think are usually the people that care what people think. You know, Shakespeare said it best, thou doth protest too much. Like, yeah. I agree. And wow. it, I mean, <laughs> this podcast just got deep. The, the other thing is, like, he, you know, he had that quote uh, in that Tim Kawakami story, you know, the, the oral history of the Hamptons Five meeting. Mm-hmm. And like the big quote from Durant in that story was like, 
he was so happy seeing all four of those Warriors guys, you know, Iguodala, Draymond, Steph, and Clay come out to that meeting. And, like, it said so much to him about how he was valued by his peers. It's like, he was two years removed from winning MVP of the league. Like, yeah. you know, he... But, yo, but did you watch him, though? Did you really see him yeah. play? Come on. Did you see no him play? No one in this room watched Kevin Durant when <laughs> Nobody he was watched the second best player alive on the Oklahoma City Thunder. Nobody Come watched on. him when he was literally in the finals. Yeah. <laughs> I still have a ratty Kevin Durant t-shirt that I bought in 2008. Don't a free Darko t-shirt. Don't believe it. Nobody watched him. Yeah, I mean, it, the, the shirt... Have you, seen, says, have you seen Kevin Durant? The, the shirt was Kevin Durant's face on a milk carton because, you know, he was, he was playing in OKC and not getting that exposure. He got snubbed from the All-Star team. Oh, and... I mean, I think that held for, like, the first couple of years that he was there. He was toiling in relative obscurity. But, like, as soon as he made that leap and everybody recognized that he was, like, you know, a, a special and top five NBA talent, like, I, it was not like people weren't watching him play mm-hmm. uh, and appreciating what he was doing. I just thought that was really interesting and really telling that, like, he'd had so much success up to that point. He hadn't won a championship, but, like, I don't think that many people really held it against him. He was widely and beloved. He was. The only time he got criticism was that one time when it was Mr. Unreliable. And they, the newspaper did everything possible to retract and apologize. Like, yeah. And that was one time. So, I don't know. I just, I just found that super interesting that after all the accolades that he'd won and the success that he'd had, uh, he still felt like he needed that validation from, uh, you know, what he said was like the best team in the league, which, you know, they were. They were coming off a 73-win season. So, I can understand that feeling good. I just don't know why he felt like that was the validation he needed. And that being the reason that he decided to join that squad. Well, I mean, look, if KD wants to validate people, maybe he needs to establish his legacy beyond the Warriors. Because, look, he's already got the two championship rings. He's got the two finals MVPs. And who knows? I'm not saying he leaves the Warriors right now. This is not a good time to leave the Warriors. I think you ride this out. I don't think you should leave the team after you just swept the opponent out of the finals. Um, but maybe he signs like a, a one plus one, right? Which will actually get him more money in the next year if he if he if he leaves after next year, and whichever time he decides to leave, if he builds a legacy somewhere else, which he again everything he said, he loves living in the Bay, he loves the lifestyle, he loves the team, the way they play, everything like that. Um, but if Le- if if KD can leave somewhere else and build another team that wins the title, that feels like that would validate him more if that's what he wants, right? Because if you look at the LeBron thing, his his timeline is very similar to KD's, all right? Um, LeBron got way more criticism than KD ever did, but still, once KD changed teams, LeBron and KD both got, you know, killed for it. They both won titles, and then they moved on. And when LeBron won that title in, in with, with, um, with Cleveland in 2016, that changed his public perception entirely. And it became, like, a lot of people actually do like LeBron. It was nice that he went back and he won the, you know, won one for the land. And if KD can go back somewhere, I don't know. I guess not not to OKC. That'd be weird. But if 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 KD could go somewhere else and build his own team and win it all, like I feel like that would help his legacy more than what he would do with the Warriors. Yeah, like that's what I've been saying too. I want um, look from a pure basketball perspective. And to his credit, Kevin Durant said when he was a free agent that it was going to be a basketball decision. That's mm-hmm. what it was. And he obviously made the best basketball yes, decision, sure, right? Like, sure. he put himself in the best position to win multiple championships. He did that. But like you said, he's got the f- two championships now. He's got two finals MVPs. Mm-hmm. That's like a very exclusive all-time club. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, he's Steph already, Curry could never. <laughs> he's already, like, won the regular season MVP award. Um, I'd love to see KD go somewhere again. And I'm not saying, like, go join a 41-win team. But, like... 
I'd love to see KD go somewhere again where he's just the alpha and we see right. that KD again. Yeah. Um, not that we didn't see it in certain like stretches or segments of his Warriors tenure, but to be a true like 75 games a year alpha, like the clear 1A on a good contending team, I'd love to see that again. Right. And I think I think it makes sense for him to do that. Yeah, it, it does. It does because look, even even what we saw in the finals, there's a lot of moments where, especially last year, KD looked like he was outplaying LeBron. It was a KD said afterwards, it felt like a torch was passed. A torch was not passed. <laughs> LeBron still has the torch, um, but I mean, like we've seen KD play at that level, but yet nobody really gives. And I see, I hear from his perspective, like it's not that nobody necessarily gives him that credit. It's that like he still faces so much criticism, and I think that's the part that he wants to shake. I think he wants to go back to basically. Um, that innocence that he had, basically when he was what with OKC, where everyone just adored him for his game, and but right I don't now even he still gets a lot of hate. He's yeah. talking about retirement. Yo, he he had a quote where he's like, I, "I might retire at 35." Like, that's really what you're saying after winning your second straight title? I might retire in five years. That's weird. Yeah, I mean that's looking pretty far down the road, right? He's it already is, 30. In five years, he'll be 35. That's not crazy to think about retiring. It's just at a weird time to say it, like right after the finals. He said a lot of weird things at a lot of weird times this year, though, that right? Is true. Like that's been kind of his mo. And I feel like we are just sort of watching him deal with all of this in real time, and that's what's been kind of interesting about it. But I almost think that the criticism of him has cooled down. I think it just hasn't been replaced with praise. It's basically mm. been replaced with indifference. Yeah, and. And that's what I think is kind of a bummer, you know? And, like, I, I totally understand the indifference because he he joined what was a fully formed, you know, mm-hmm. championship-level, dynastic type of team. And basically, you know, the idea was, that, like, they didn't really need him to be the best versions of themselves necessarily, right? Like, that, that team had just broken the all-time record for regular season wins. You know, that team was a couple bad breaks from winning a second straight title. And... For him to latch onto that team was like, it wasn't interesting in a basketball perspective because it didn't present a, a challenge that he had to go through. And that's, you know, for him, like on a personal level, I, I think really understandable why he would want to put himself in that situation. Um, and I don't blame him for, you know, on a personal level for making that decision. I just think as a fan of the game of basketball and, and as a fan of Kevin Durant's game, mm-hmm. like, it was so much less interesting than any number of other choices that he could have made. And I, I just don't know that he's ever going to be able to turn that indifference around until he is in a different situation where he actually is required to like be something extraordinary in order to win. I yeah. think, you know, like the Warriors have needed him to be extraordinary in very specific contexts over the last two years, but um, the breadth of the achievement, I think, is so much less than what LeBron has had to do, basically, in, mm-hmm. in dragging that Cavs team to where he's dragged it the last few years. And that doesn't that doesn't diminish what Durant has accomplished. Um, and look, like if we're looking at this year, like LeBron didn't seem to be having too much fun. No, he looked miserable <laughs> playing the whole with time. the Cavs this year. So it's like I, I, I wouldn't wish that on anyone necessarily. But um, again, if if people are going to change their minds or, or change the way they feel about Durant, I feel like. I just don't think it's going to happen in the context uh, of him on this Warriors team. Uh, one last note on the Warriors. The, uh, this team is quickly becoming very expensive. It already had the second-highest payroll in the league this season. Uh, and they need to find a way to re-sign Kevin Durant. They need to fill out their rotation again. They want to get younger, which usually means it's more expensive. 
and you know I don't know could the could the luxury taxes break the Warriors in a similar fashion to how it kind of broke the heat if you remember what the heat towards the end there they couldn't afford this guy they couldn't afford that guy they couldn't afford Mike Miller who had great playoff moments shout out to that time he hit a three without a shoe um and you know like it's the, eventually the heat were kind of bled out from within and, and you know maybe the same thing happens to the Warriors because they're already a very top heavy team the, the strength and numbers thing no longer applies right it's it's strength and all-stars now and when you have a team of just all-stars and minimum contract guys very quickly that becomes untenable so i don't know what, what do you think yeah i think i think it'll affect their depth and already you can make the argument it already has right look at the way they feel like they filled out the roster with mostly big men and they didn't really get those like you know, when Iguodala was hurt, you had stretches where Nick Young might have had to guard LeBron James. Like, it, it wasn't ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, as time goes on, that could get worse. But I still think the only thing that can break this team up is those four guys no longer. One of those four guys or multiple of them no longer wanting to be part of this. I think as long as those four guys are willing to stay, I don't think um, Joe Lacob and co. are going to worry about paying that luxury tax bill. I wonder... I mean... I feel like how they draft will probably have a lot to do with it. Like, if they can draft effectively late in the first round, then that would go a long way toward basically sustaining um, a roster, you know, a functional roster around those four guys. The Spurs model. Yeah, exactly. Just getting being able to get cheap production from legitimate... Like, having Jordan Bell, I think, is really crucial for them. Like, the fact that they have this guy who's going to be extremely cheap uh, and give them, you know, basically the, the kind of production that they need from a center. Somebody who can do a decent job hanging on switches, who can protect the rim a little bit, who can mm-hmm. pass, um, and who's fast and can run the floor. Like, he does everything that they need him to do. Um, and the fact that they were able to just buy that pick and not have to give up anything for it, it was, it was really important. Um, and stuff like that, that that's what's going to sustain them for the next few years, I think, is being able to find money late in the draft. Mm. And hopefully like focus on getting wing players and guards and not just filling out the back end of the roster with centers which is um yeah this weird curious decision that they made and and uh, a lot of those guys proved to be unplayable so uh I, i'm interested to see how they do it um they they have like found some guys like they found macaw's uh, okay macaw's okay like kevon looney's okay yeah um and we talked about bell so they have some of those pieces in place um and yeah, I'll be curious to see how they how they continue to use the draft to basically fill out the roster. Yeah, and look, this is the other unfair part about the Warriors. They make way more money than everybody else. The Warriors, in 11 home games, raked in $130 million in revenue in the playoffs. 11 games, they made $130 million. To put that into perspective, like, usually, if you just look at the average market in the average playoff game, they earn about $2 million per home appearance. They made more than 10 per home appearance um and also the Warriors are moving to that new arena in 2019 uh and they're doing a first uh in the NBA it, it happens already in in soccer in, in a lot of places in Europe but like they're selling like seat licenses where, where basically you're just giving them money up front and so they're going to rake in you know according to like Tim Kawakami uh reporter out in uh, in, in Oakland for the athletic um they're going to take in like about 300 million off those seat licenses. So when you have that much money in the bank and they've made a lot of money in previous playoff runs too, like it's kind of, it's way easier to be like, yeah, we'll pay the luxury tax. Even though the luxury tax is going to be crazy. It's because like, man, they have all this money saved up. Yeah. And, and I think Warriors players know that. I think like a couple teams actually, like I think the Raptors actually do that. 
like Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment, if you get season tickets for the Raptors or Leafs or, you know, any of their properties, you basically pay like a licensing fee for the seat before you even pay for the season tickets. Right. And I think a few, like I think the Knicks and Rangers might do it. Some of the big markets do it, but obviously it sounds like the Warriors are going to do it. Yeah, this, the Warriors are like, first off, it's like the most expensive ticket yeah. like in anywhere in the NBA, right? But also, like, I think this one, they're also, they're giving fans like the right to like actually sell that license to another wow. team. Fan. Yeah, so like that's just the license for that arena. Like, there's only a fixed number of those. I think so the uh, price is always be high. I think Kevin Durant should troll the hell out of the basketball world this summer and do like a my next chapter and end it with the fact that he's like taking his talents to San Francisco. So it's just not actually going anywhere. <laughs> uh, if only Katie had a sense of humor about himself, but he oh doesn't. Anyway, we're gonna take a quick break right here, and we're gonna come back on the other side with the make or miss segment. Welcome back to the Pound the Rock podcast. As always, a reminder to please support the show by rating, reviewing, and subscribing. It helps us a lot. Um, those rankings uh, is everything in the podcast world. That's everything, but those stupid rankings. Anyway, make, uh, we're going to move into our Make or Miss segment right We don't here. care about them, though. We're like Kevin Durant. We don't care uh, about the right, podcast right. rankings. Yeah. We don't, don't care. really care what people think about mm. us. Yeah. Not reading the comments. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there are comments. Have you guys read the reviews? They're oh, all... I've written a bunch of them. Oh, oh, oh come on, Eric Jr., relax. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, yeah, they're, they're very nice. It's actually very heartwarming. To, I, I downloaded iTunes on my computer to uh, just to read it, and, you know, it was worth the time. Uh, okay, so the Make or Miss segment. It's very straightforward. I'm going to read out a statement, and if you agree with it, it's a make. If you disagree, it's a miss. First one, make or miss. Um, do you buy the reports that Kawhi has made up with the Spurs and they're going to meet and sign that massive, massive extension to keep the dynasty alive? Cash. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'll am gonna. i be quick. I'm going to say it's a make because I think there's $219 million mm. uh, on so, the table, and I think regardless of what he feels about the organization right now, I think that's way too much for Kawhi Leonard to walk away from, so make. I don't know if I would quite call it a make. Um, I'm somewhere in between. Maybe it's a make at the buzzer that they have to go to video replay. Uh, Did he get it off in time? Um, the Solomon Hill game winner. I buy it. Like it makes, it makes sense. Like There's no reason to think that Kawhi wouldn't at least be open to talking about it. I don't think that necessarily the bridge has been totally torched i'm just a little bit skeptical um and without knowing where that report is coming from it's hard to really know because if it's coming from the spurs i think you know that like they obviously have reason to spin this in such a way that it appears like fences are being mended and especially you know if they have hopes of trading him um in order to have any kind of leverage in that situation i feel like there there has to be at least a sense that that relationship is salvageable and that you know they aren't basically over a barrel so um i, I am a little bit skeptical um but i i wouldn't be shocked obviously if they ended up coming to the bargaining table and getting a deal done all right next one make or miss donovan mitchell is crazy to believe that he could recruit paul george to sign with the jazz this summer uh i think it's a miss so if I say a miss, that means he's not crazy? Yeah, he's not crazy. Not crazy? Miss, yeah. Okay. Uh, I think it's possible. Um, <laughs> you have to pause a lot. To, to... Well, look, look, I don't know enough about what Paul George values to be able to say like whether he would rule out Utah as a destination because mm -hmm. 
you know, it's not a premium market. Uh, it's a, a kind of a different part of America and uh, not one, you know, that's typically been viewed as a, as a free agent hotbed. But um, for purely basketball reasons, I don't think it's a bad fit at all. They're another team that is already very good and would have the cap space. Um, assuming they renounced Derek Favors to basically absorb a near max deal, so I think he'd be a great fit next to Donovan Mitchell, uh, and between him, Mitchell, and Gobert, like that's a really, really strong nucleus. Um, and you know, if he were to say sign like a four or five year deal there, then that's you know basically covers the rest of his prime, and um, those are prime years for Donovan Mitchell as well, prime years for Rudy Gobert. I think that could be. I don't know if that puts them on the Rockets level, but again, like that is already a really, really good defensive team. He would make them a better defensive team and provide, mm-hmm. I think, some much-needed playmaking and shooting. And I don't know. I could see it. I think it's a good fit. And, I, you know, I don't know if, if he would rule it out out of hand, but uh, I, I would say it's plausible. Yeah, I, I, I think the Jazz were a kind of 3-and-D type, like, star swingman away from being a tier two contender oh, yeah. this year a gordon about, hayward type right like i didn't think about this but would he be willing to go and play with joe ingles <laughs> that, that's yeah. it's a tough ask after their feud but no i i don't think uh donovan mitchell's crazy to try like you know again basketball wise it actually makes a lot of sense the only reason i do think it's crazy is because like look i get that paul george likes fishing and like likes to do like small town things but I mean, come he on could, he could, he this could. guy and no disrespect to salt lake city oklahoma city and indianapolis indiana but i don't think paul george is going to sign in like another small market and end up just basically playing his entire career in these like small town usa just area. a fish just, yeah like just, come on how much can the guy canyoning yeah like how much can the guy like fishing uh so i'm gonna say as much as i think it's a basketball fit it's not happening it's it's no chance okay so that was a make fit right i, I don't know man <laughs> you, you very ambiguous questions i don't know what a make or a miss is based on these questions <laughs> all right all right look i'm just saying look you're not gonna force your way out of a city and take all the bad press and say like i'm going to the lakers and then be like hmm, actually i'm going to the jazz like Nah, look, which big free agents have the Jazz ever signed? Carlos Boozer. Was he a big free agent? That's the biggest one. After he spurned Cleveland. Hey, yo, he was he a big, big free agent? He had some really good years. Yeah. Him and Deron At the time, he was a pretty big free agent. Yeah. They they uh, they made a conference final. That's, that's I don't know. Paul George and, Karam, or, and Carlos Boozer are in different classes. I'm not saying they're not. You were asking, like, who's the big free agent they've signed? And now it's like... Yeah, he's physically big, all right? He's 6'9", yeah. He's 250 pounds. He's a big human. Uh, the, the next one looks like a very easy oh. to distinguish what's a make and what's a miss. Let's get to there it. There we go, baby. Make or miss. Podcast favorite, Dwayne Casey. We'll take the Pistons to the playoffs. Dwayne Casey has officially been announced with a five-year deal to coach the Detroit Pistons. Congratulations, Coach Casey. Uh, thank you for um, inspiring this podcast. Cash, you ran into Casey at the I finals. Did. Yeah, I ran into him in Cleveland. Did you uh, tell him about the podcast? I did not. Shame okay. on me. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I talked to him just about how he was itching to get back into coaching. And he talked about how he's going to miss Toronto, things like that. Said mm-hmm. he'll bounce back. And clearly he has. He's signed a five-year deal mm-hmm. already to coach the Pistons. Like, I, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say make. I'm going to say there's enough ta- – like, there's just enough talent there that with a good coach and some health, which is key because Reggie Jackson's never healthy. Blake Griffin, we know all about that. Um, if things go right, I think Dwayne Cage is a good enough coach that that's like an eight seed. Like, it's, it's a barely a playoff team, but mm-hmm. he'll get them there. Yeah, I agree. I'll call it a make. I think uh, 
they're the roster's a little bit dysfunctional. They a little bit. They they need better wings. Yeah. Um and I don't know if you can rely on just like Luke Kennard making a leap, um, or Reggie Bullock, you know, being just like a quality three and D guy. Like I think they need more. Um they don't have a first round pick this year, which really hurts. And again, there's a lot of bloated contracts, so there's not a ton of roster flexibility there, but between Griffin and Drummond and Reggie Jackson. I think there's like enough talent there mm-hmm. to be a playoff team in the East. Um, and Dwayne Casey has certainly proven himself to be one of the best regular season coaches in the NBA over the last few years. So if there's anyone who can coach that roster up, I think that it's him. Yeah. I, look, I think it's a make two. I think it's a great hire by the Pistons. Um, the only concern I would have is like Dwayne Casey in Toronto has historically ran his offense largely through the guard position. Um, part of that is obviously due to the talent available. He had Kyle, uh, Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan. Um, but, you know, Detroit is a very different situation where they have two big men in Drummond and and and, uh, and Griffin. And, look, Casey's a very experienced coach. You know, he's 60 years old. He's been around the block. He knows how to coach every single style, right? Not just the one that he showed in Toronto. But it's just going to be interesting to see him build a program around two big men and really, really, let's be honest, crappy guards and wings because – that's sort of been the opposite of what he's had in Toronto. So he's got to show some flexibility there. But at the same time, if the Pistons can play some solid defense and Blake Griffin can sustain the offense just enough so that they're average, that's easily a playoff team, right, in the Eastern Conference. Like you, you said, there's yeah. enough talent there to make the playoffs in the East. There's enough talent in this room to, to, to make the playoffs <laughs> in the East. I mean, come on. Yeah. I mean, the other thing I'll say is I, I feel like Blake Griffin is, almost plays like a guard. At this yeah, point, exactly. like he's a he, power handle, guard. he handles the ball a lot, um, and you know he can even be a ball handler in the pick and roll. He can operate from the elbows, like he can do a lot of different things as a playmaker. Uh, where I don't feel like it'll be too big of an adjustment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think the trickiest thing for Dwayne Casey is just figuring out how how him and Drummond are going to play together um, because that didn't prove to be such a good fit. Obviously, it's tough him getting plopped into that situation with like thirty games left in the season, so. I'm interested to see, you know, with a full offseason together, what that team looks like next year. Next one. Uh, make or miss. The Toronto Raptors, who fired Dwayne Casey, by the way, are still without a coach because they were set on Mike Budenholzer, um, who picked the Bucks. So the, the Raptors are the last uh, coaching vacancy out there. They fired Dwayne Casey more than three weeks ago now. They still don't have a head coach. They were initially interested in Bud. Obviously, Bud decided to go to the Bucks. So, is that why the Raptors are still without a head coach? Make or miss? Uh, so it's actually a month today. A month it's a to month. the day. Wow. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm going to say that's a miss. Look, I think, you know, they were reported to be interested in Bud and, and you know, he was deciding between the Bucks and the Raptors. But if you remember, like, by the time the Raptors fired Casey and they were rumored to be going after Bud, Bud was already pretty strongly linked to the Bucks. Right. And, like... Masai's been around the block. He's a smart guy. I'm sure he knew that too. So I don't know how much of this was like them putting all of their eggs in the Budenholzer basket. I just think no one's Masai... put all their eggs exactly, in the exactly, basket and that's ever. why I think it's a miss. I just I think Masai Ujiri's being Masai Ujiri. He's doing his due diligence and he's going to be patient with this. He's evaluating, baby. Yeah, patting the word. I I do think that they that that was their number one guy though, um, and. I don't know if that's the reason they haven't hired anyone yet. Like that they were scrambling so badly and didn't have a plan B. Um, like Cash was saying, I don't. You know, Masai Ujiri is not the type of uh, executive who doesn't have a plan B. But I do think that he was the guy that they wanted, and that you know, had he not gotten 
swooped up by the Bucks that uh, he he would probably be the Raptors head coach right now. Um, I just think uh, the Raptors front office has proven to be very vigilant, very careful, and very measured in everything they do. Um, and this just seems to me like, you know, to fit their MO to a T. So um, I think they, they have their reasons for taking as long as they're taking. Um, quick question as a sidebar. Um, looks like the Raptors are down to two finalists uh, between Nick Nurse, who was a lead assistant under Casey uh, in Toronto. And he's been here since uh, 2014. Uh, and the other one is Ettore Messina, who has been with the Spurs as an assistant after being wildly successful in Europe. If you're the Raptors, which one would you pick between the two of them? Neither of them are very sexy, I'll say that much. Physically or? <laughs> Both, really. Uh, Messina's kind of got like a nice little, uh, he's, he dresses well. Right. He's got a GQ charm about him. Nick Nurse has right. like a Drew Carey thing going on. It's <laughs> a huge, it's the glasses, man. <laughs> um... I mean, Udoka, definitely there's a sexiness factor there. Yeah. I've had uh, enough of Cleveland for a year. Please no Drew Carey. <laughs> um, well, I, it's okay. It, de- it really depends on what the Raptors value, right? Like if, what they, if, if the whole purpose of firing Dwayne Casey was to really shake things up, get a, a totally new voice uh, in that locker room, um, try to change the culture a little bit, and... I don't know, maybe like put some sort of a jolt into the team, you know, saying that the status quo is no longer acceptable, then I feel like the external candidate is the one that you want more. If they continue to value continuity as they have over the last few years, but they just felt like, you know, they needed some sort of a change because the Casey thing had gotten a little bit too stale, but they still value what they had in that coaching staff, in that locker room, and they think, you know, with some tweaks around the margins that they can, you know, take the team to the next level then obviously Nick Nurse is the guy. So I think it's just, you know, what was their reason for firing Casey? Was it just because, like, they couldn't in good faith, you know, bring him back after getting swept again? Or was it the fact that they really felt like it was time to get a new voice in there? I don't know if Nick Nurse is going to be enough of a change culture-wise because, you know, he's been there throughout most of his run as well. So um, I, I don't, you know, there's a familiarity factor there that could work in their favor, but it could also contribute to you know continued failure where the Raptors have failed in the past I think a lot of it was like tactical things too um, Michael Grange reported shortly after Dwayne Casey was fired that Masai Ujiri was pretty incensed with some of the, like the tactical mistakes Dwayne Casey met, uh, made in that Cavs series so I think yeah I think I think there's a mental block there with the Raptors and LeBron I think we know that mm-hmm. but I don't think you can necessarily like make a hire and a decision this of this magnitude just based on like which guy is going to help them get over the mental hurdle of LeBron James because again you don't know if he's even going to be in the East next year yeah um so I think I think they got to go with like who they think is the best tactical coach that can squeeze that little extra bit out of this roster that Dwayne Casey wasn't able to do and I mean it sounds like a cop-out answer but I don't know who the hell that is like, seriously we don't know who yeah, the hell that is knows? like we've never seen Nick Nurse as an NBA head coach we've never seen Toromacina as an NBA head coach I honestly have no clue which guy that is uh, who we have seen, though, uh, in the NBA Finals is uh, Jordan Clarkson, which is the last make or miss. Uh, what a transition. Um, is Jordan Clarkson, after what we saw out of this playoff run, the worst playoff performer you've ever seen? And I might sound hyperbolic, but uh, there are some stats there that I hope you read out in your answers. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, okay, sorry. Have you seen a... <laughs> a worse playoff performer... Yeah. 
than Jordan Clarkson, um, aka Jordan Crawford. Right. So, <laughs> I guess I'll say miss, meaning I have not seen. Wouldn't that be a, a make? <laughs> you gotta think of you gotta you gotta rephrase these questions. I, I know. Right. Look, look. Well, sometimes I'm running I'm, out of time on my shift. I, <laughs> I, just, I just type it down. I don't know. Okay, so I, I won't say make or miss. I'll just say that um, yes, at know. least in in memory or like off the top of my head, I can't remember. Like there are probably worse performances, like in a series, say, uh-huh. you know, for a team that lost in the first round. Sure. But the fact that he did it over like twenty plus games, I feel like elevates it above mm-hmm. all the other ones, just because, like, you know, he continued to be a rotation player throughout the playoffs, and he never got any better. Like he didn't have a single good game. Yeah. Even he Rodney Hood came back from the dead and had Rodney Hood one had and a fifteen half good point games. game. Yeah. Yeah. You know he at least had a moment and for Clarkson I don't feel like there was a single moment where he looked like he was a positive contributor um and I don't know I don't, I don't really know what happened to it because it's really hard to remember now but way back at the beginning of the season when he was playing with the Lakers and coming off the bench he was playing pretty well averaging like 15 points a game on like decent efficiency um and you know, he he didn't look like a star. Like he obviously had defensive deficiencies. Was not a great passer, but um, he was you know able to get to the rim. Like he was able to be a productive offensive player for the most part. And he just looked like a shell of himself by the end of the playoffs. Yeah, I'm gonna call it a make, which is something that uh, to where Jordan Clarkson didn't hear very much of during the playoffs. Ooh. I don't think he made one. Uh, yeah, no, I, just recency bias. I'm gonna go no, never. Maybe next year someone also have a bad playoffs and I'll say that was the worst playoff performance ever. But recency bias, Jordan Clarkson, worst player in NBA history. Uh, I should preface this by saying that Jordan Clarkson averaged four point seven points, one point seven rebounds, and zero point seven assists per game throughout the playoffs. He shot thirty percent from the field, thirty point one. That's not exaggerating or rounding down to make anyone look worse. That's just thirty point one, twenty three point nine percent from three, and he he shot well on free throws. All right, eighty three point three. That's that's great. The true shooting percentage, 35.8, a number so bad it would make injured Derrick Rose blush. Uh, and, you know, there's also the moments where he didn't pass to LeBron. He was pretty poor defensively. It was a rough playoff performance for Jordan Clarkson. It's very unclear as to why the Cavaliers took Clarkson off the Lakers' hands, especially since it cleared a lot of salary for them. Um, but, uh, yeah, clearly it wasn't for his playoff performances. That brings an end to the make or miss segment. Uh, we're going to have to retire that playoff flashback segment now that, um, you know, the playoffs are over. We'll think of more things in the summertime to fill that last slot. But uh, for now, that does it for this podcast. Uh, again, please support the show by rating, reviewing, subscribing. Uh, thanks to Joe Wolfon. Thanks to <laughs> Jessica Charo. Uh, and uh, uh, we'll catch you next week. 